So we felt like it's time to do a little meta again, folks, <laughs> after the interviews this week. And uh, I want to start by reading something from Ajahn Sumedho that he wrote about metta from a talk of his. I like it a lot because he's so uh, down-to-earth, accessible. It kind of takes the thought of doing metta out of the realm of, well, it is called one of the divine abodes, but that can make it seem so inaccessible. And then we tend to judge whatever we're doing as nowhere near a divine abode and end up practicing something other than metta. So I want to read a little bit from one of his talks about metta and then just have us all do some together. The concept of metta is generally translated as loving kindness. This may be too big a word because we tend to think of loving kindness as grand and wonderful and sometimes we cannot generate that kind of love for everything. The English word love is often misused. We say, I love to eat fish and chips. When what we mean is, I like to eat fish and chips. The Christians talk about Christian love. This means the love of your enemies. It does not mean liking them. How can you like your enemies? We can, however, love them, which means that we will not do anything to harm them. We will not dwell in aversion on them. You can be kind to your enemies, kind towards people who are not very nice to you, who insult you and wish you harm. They may be unpleasant people whom you cannot like, but can love. You can love them in the sense of not doing anything to harm them, not being vindictive, not dwelling in aversion on them. Metta is not a kind of superman's love. It is the very ordinary ability to be kind and not dwell in aversion on something or someone. If right now a man walked into this room drunk, ugly, diseased, stinking, cursing, and swearing with warts all over his face, (laughs) we could not consider liking him maybe, but we can be kind. We would not have to punch him in the nose, curse him, and force him out of the room. We could invite him in and give him a cup of tea. That's the English answer to everything. (laughs) We can be kind. We can do something for someone who is repulsive and disgusting in some way. When we think to ourselves, I can't stand that man. Get him out of here. He's disgusting it becomes impossible to be kind. And we are creating suffering around what is unpleasant for us. There's a great lack of metta in the world today because we have overdeveloped our critical faculties. 
We constantly analyze and criticize. We dwell on what is wrong with ourselves, with others, with the society we live in. Metta, however, means not dwelling in aversion, being kind and patient, even towards that which is bad, evil, foul, or terrible. It's easy to be kind towards nice animals like little kittens and puppies. It's easy to be kind towards people we like, towards sweet little children, especially when they're not ours. It's easy to be kind to old ladies and old men when we don't have to live with them. It's much more difficult to be kind to that which we don't like, which threatens us, or which disgusts us. This takes much more endurance. First, we have to start with ourselves. So in traditional Buddhist style, we always start the practice of metta by having metta for ourselves. This does not mean we say, I really love myself, I really like me. When we practice metta towards ourselves, we don't dwell in aversion on ourselves anymore. We extend kindness towards ourselves, towards conditions of body and conditions of mind. We extend kindness and patience even towards faults and failings, towards bad thoughts, moods, anger, greed, fears, doubts, jealousies, delusions, all the things that we may not like about ourselves. When I first went to England, I asked the Buddhist people there whether they did the practice of metta. They said, no, can't stand it. It's so false. We're supposed to go around saying, I like myself, I love myself, may I be happy. It's so soppy, foolish. I don't really feel it. It seems so false and superficial. On that level, it sounded a bit silly to me too, until I realized it wasn't taught in the right way and had become sentimental, a cosmetic covering up of things. The people of England could not go along with it. They would rather sit and analyze themselves, look at their faults, and exaggerate them out of all proportion. They thought they were being honest with themselves. When we practice metta towards ourselves, we stop trying to find all our weaknesses, all our faults and imperfections. Usually when you have a bad mood or start to feel depressed, you think, here I go again, I'm worthless. When this happens, have metta for the depression itself. Don't make a bad thing out of it. Don't complicate it. Be at peace with it. Peacefully coexist with depressions, fears, doubts, anger, or jealousy. You don't need to create anything around them with aversion. Last year, a woman came to ask me about depression. She said, 
I suffer from depression on occasion. I know it's bad. I know I shouldn't. And I want to know what to do about it. I really don't want it. I want to get rid of it. What do you suggest? So his answer is, now what is wrong with depression? You expect that you should never feel depressed because of an idea that there's something wrong with you for being that way. Sometimes life just isn't very pleasant. It can be downright depressing. You can't expect life to be always pleasant, inspiring, and wonderful. When you have high expectations for yourself, thinking you have to be Superman or Wonder Woman, then of course you don't have much metta, because only very seldom can we live up to such a high standard. You become doubtful of yourself. Maybe I'm not good enough. By practicing metta towards ourselves, we can stop doing that. We begin to forgive ourselves for making mistakes, for giving in to weaknesses. It doesn't mean that you rationalize things away, but rather that you do not go on creating problems or dwelling in aversion on the faults you have and the mistakes you have made. So by applying the practice of metta inwardly, we can become a lot more peaceful within ourselves and the conditions with the conditions of our minds and bodies. We become more mindful and aware, more awake to the way things are. Wisdom begins to arise and we can see how we create unnecessary problems all the time by just following the momentum of habit. Metta means a little more than just kindness. It is a penetrating kindness, an awareness, kind awareness. Metta means we can coexist peacefully in a kindly way with the sentient beings within us and with beings without. It does not mean liking necessarily. Some people go to that extreme. They say, I love my weaknesses because that's really me. I wouldn't be me if I didn't have my wonderful weaknesses. That's silly. Metta is being patient, being able to coexist with rather than trying to annihilate the pests of our minds. Our society is very much one that annihilates pests, both inwardly and outwardly, wanting to create an environment where there are no pests. I hear monks say, I can't meditate because there are too many mosquitoes. If only we could get rid of them. Even though you can never really like mosquitoes, you can have metta for them, respecting their right to exist, and not getting caught up in resentment at their presence. Similarly, if I can have metta for the depressed mood at the moment and allow it to be there, recognizing it 
and not demanding that it not be there, it will go. Feelings like these arise naturally and go away. We make them stay longer because we want them to go all the time. The struggle of trying to get rid of something we don't like seems to make it stay longer than it would otherwise. Before we can start making great changes in society, we have to start with ourselves, having metta for the conditions of our minds and our bodies. We can have metta for the disease when we are ill. It does not mean that we are going to help the disease stay for a long time or that we should not have an injection of penicillin because we are having metta for the little germs infecting us. It means not dwelling in aversion on the discomfort and the weakness of our bodies when they are ill. We can learn to meditate on the fevers, fatigue, bodily pain, and aches that we all experience. When we do not have metta, we just tend to react to those conditions with a desire to annihilate. And the desire to annihilate always takes us to despair. We keep on recreating all the conditions for despair in our minds when we just try to annihilate all that we do not like and do not want. Living in a Buddhist monastery is a good training for learning to live with people. As a layman, I had some control over whom I associated with, keeping close to certain friends whom I liked to be with and staying away from anyone I did not like. But in the monastery, we did not have any choice. We had to live with whoever was there, whether you liked them or not, So sometimes you had to live with people whom you did not like or whom you found irritating and annoying. That was good for me because I began to understand people whom I would never have taken the time to understand otherwise. If I had had a choice, I wouldn't have lived with some of those people. But as that choice was not available, I learned to be more sensitive, more open. I learned to have metta and allow people to be as they are rather than always trying to force them to change, forcing them to be as I would like them to be or trying to get rid of them. From my own experience, I learned how frustrating life is when I have ideas of how I want it to be. So I began to look at my own suffering rather than just trying to control everything according to my desires. Instead of making requests and demands or trying to control everything, I began to flow with life. And that was much easier in the long run than all the manipulation that I used to do. We can still be fully aware of the imperfections 
and not dismiss them or be irresponsible. But the practice of metta means we are not creating problems around it by dwelling in aversion. We can allow ourselves to flow with life. So looked at that way, the practice of metta is very much more ordinary and something that we can practice in little bits all the time throughout the day. It doesn't always have to be a formal sitting or something that you have to feel really concentrated to gear yourself up to practice metta. Sometimes it'll just arise naturally in the course of the sitting, in the course of walking through the cafeteria. Suddenly you'll just feel a little burst of kindness, of appreciation for someone that's been driving you crazy all the time. When that happens, just allow it. You know, let it let it flow when it comes naturally. That's really important. We begin to get familiar with it. It's like we, we're cultivating positive states. We've spent plenty of time cultivating the negative ones. So let them just arise when they do and don't feel like you have to squash it. And then to about the doing a guided metta now, I just want to say a couple things. Um, first, just bearing in mind that it's a practice, like all the practice that we're doing. And it doesn't mean that one should sit and suddenly this boundless love is going to flow and there's something wrong with you if it doesn't. It's a practice. And it's also kind of a concentration practice. So working very much with, as I'll say, series of words, bringing your attention back to the repetition in your own mind and heart of either the words I say, or if there are others that are more appropriate to you, that's fine. The words themselves aren't important. But picking a few phrases and repeating them over and over is important. And also working with feeling a sense of kindness, of gentleness, of love. And when this isn't there, knowing that's okay. Just keep on with the practice. No need to feel discouraged or that there's something wrong. It just comes and goes like everything else. Something that, that also often happens for people in uh, doing metta is that what comes up is just the opposite. That you might hit big reservoirs of anger or hatred, discouragement, whatever. This is also quite normal and really okay. Don't um, either use it as a sign that there's something wrong with you or feel that you have to push away the anger and get back to metta. You know, we all know this doesn't work anyway. So at that moment, you can, a couple of ways. One is to really acknowledge the anger as present. Sometimes uh, one way is to turn to doing vipassana with it, actually opening to it, feeling it, accepting it, exploring it. Actually, that's a tricky way of doing metta to the anger anyway, because when we're really mindfully aware and accepting of something, that movement of accepting awareness is like a movement of metta. So you can do Vipassana to it, and you're doing metta to it anyway. 
Or you can just straight out do metta to the anger. It's okay that it's there. Don't try to jump over it and get back to feeling loving. Just let it do what it does. And when it's less, you can go on back to repeating the phrases and feeling the sensations. And so as I go through it, um, we'll start with ourselves and then gradually move to a benefactor, someone that is a clear relationship of appreciation and gratitude, not complex, not sexual, and then on to a loved one, a neutral person, and the, quote, enemy. Now, all along here, it gets harder and harder. If, say, at the enemy person, you just feel it's not happening, and what's happening is not just a bit of anger, but total rage and closeness, drop it, you know, go back and do it to yourself some more. Do it to your benefactor some more. I remember Sharon saying when she was practicing it with Upandita and feeling that, you know, she ought to be able to right away go to the enemy. And he said, hey, it's about practicing in a way that builds confidence. So it's appropriate to start with the way that that works, that flows. It's not like we're supposed to be able to jump ahead and do it to the person that we have the most difficulty with in the world. If that's not happening, that's fine. If you want to stay and do it with yourself, the whole sitting or any other sittings, the whole retreat, that's fine. So knowing it's not some kind of progressive scale that we're trying to get to with our competitive minds, it's just to cultivate this sense As I said, there's lots of different ways of phrasing uh, the metta meditation. I'll probably do it different from how Stephen did it. And you might find your own phrases that work for you. That's fine. So let's begin by just sitting a few minutes, focusing on your breath. Sit comfortably, so as comfortably as you can. Focus on your breath for a few minutes and then beginning to feel it at the heart center. And then I'll start after a few minutes.
It's traditional to begin uh, a metta meditation by asking for and extending forgiveness. So, as I uh, say the words, just repeating them silently to yourself and extending a sense of forgiveness, if that's possible in the moment. And if it's not, that's okay too. If, whether knowingly or unknowingly, I have hurt or harmed anyone, I ask for their forgiveness now. And if anyone has hurt or harmed me, whether knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive them now. Letting the attention come to settle on the center of the chest. A gentle settling in, not a forcing. It's beginning to feel whatever sensations are arising there. Beginning to experience possibly sensations of warmth, gentleness, kindness. Allowing a sense of loving kindness to begin to radiate from this area. And whenever the attention wanders, we gently bring it back to feeling the sensations radiating outwards through the body from the heart center and the repetition of the phrases. beginning by allowing the energy of loving-kindness to touch all parts of our own being, 
Feel it radiating, lighting up our body and mind. Emanating from this heart area. And repeating phrases that are appropriate to you, such as, may I be happy. Another way of saying it, may I have ease of well-being. May I be peaceful. May I be freed from physical and mental suffering. May I be liberated. Continuing to focus on the sensations of loving-kindness and repeating the phrases. May I be happy. be peaceful. May I be freed from suffering. be liberated. Letting the loving kindness touch all aspects of ourself. Those we like, those we don't like. Without any discrimination, without any judgment. Just as I am, may I be happy. May I be peaceful.
May I be free from mental and physical suffering. May I be liberated. (coughs) It's almost as if the words you repeat to yourself spring out of the sensations, the energy at the heart center. They flow out of the loving-kindness energy. Gently bringing the mind back whenever it wanders. May I be free from suffering. May I live in peace and harmony. And now bringing to mind the image of someone they call the benefactor, someone you feel respect, gratitude, appreciation to, perhaps a mentor of some kind, a teacher, someone that's uncomplicated, that you easily feel love towards. And sending towards this person 
same energy of kindness, undiscriminating, non-judging, loving kindness. Letting the sensations at the heart center expand and flow out towards this person. Just as I want to be happy, so may you be happy. May you live free of physical and mental suffering. May you live in peace. May you be liberated. Continuing to hold the image of this person and allowing the loving-kindness energy to flow in that direction. May you be peaceful. May you be freed from suffering. May you be liberated.
feeling the energy continuing to flow outward from the heart area towards this being. Be happy. Be peaceful. Be freed from suffering. And now bringing to mind the image of someone who is dear to you for whom you naturally feel a bond of affection. To whom the energy of loving kindness easily flows. Just whoever first comes to mind, no need to look. Just letting yourself feel, experience that sense of unjudging, accepting love. Continuing to focus on the sensations of the loving kindness and continuing to repeat appropriate phrases to yourself. Remembering it's a practice. Wishing this person well. Letting the loving kindness permeate the image, the sense of their being. May you have ease of well-being. May you be peaceful. May you be freed from suffering. May you be liberated. repeating whatever you would naturally wish for this person who is dear to you.
And now briefly bringing to mind someone who's difficult for you, with whom you're having some difficulties in relating, or the thought of whom brings up anger, pain. And just gently, softly, allowing the feelings of loving kindness to also include this person. Perhaps a sense of how their unskillful actions are caused by their own pain can often help to soften the heart a little, allow the loving kindness to flow. Not forcing, but letting the energy encompass even this person. May you too be happy. May you too come to the end of suffering. May you be liberated.
Now allowing the loving kindness to spread out in all directions from the heart area, encompassing all of our own being, those on either side, all around us, allowing the boundless energy of loving kindness to expand in all directions without any limitations, without any distinctions, including all beings in all the directions. Everyone in this center, the town, the state, all the animals. No distinctions whatsoever. Boundless loving kindness. Reaching infinitely in all directions. May all beings be happy. May all beings know love. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be liberated. <clears throat>